Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckheads join me shortly in our topics this week. Looks like a school finance deal in Kansas. Looks like a tight race for mayor in Kansas City. And in Democratic politics, it looks like Joe is Biden his time. Plus, roast and toast. But we start with our Newsmaker segment and look at a local institution that's been around for decades. Most people likely recognize its name, but few probably know its purpose. It's the Civic Council, founded in 1964 and comprised of some of the city's major business leaders. Here to tell us more is the council's president, who came to Kansas City about a year ago from Nashville, where he was a leader on the city's Chamber of Commerce. Mark Hill, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Start with a simple one. How would you explain what the Civic Council is and what does the Civic Council do? Sure. Good question. So the Civic Council is a group of CEOs that formed back in the 1960s to, to collectively work together on sort of difficult challenges facing the region. Over the years, it's evolved. We've now got about 75 members. It's typically the largest employers in the region. And they're working on a few long-term strategic issues that are facing our community. Now, what is your role? You're called the president. If I recall correctly, your predecessor was the executive director. Are you like the executive director or the president? It's, it's a very similar role. The titles aren't that important, but really my job is to help uh, make it easy for our members to engage personally in, in the work in the community. And so it's identifying those opportunities and challenges that we will be working on over the next several years or the next five years, and then helping our volunteers, our business leaders, be effective as they engage personally in that work. Where does the money come from, from the people who are on the Civic Council? Yeah, we're funded. We're a uh, private uh, <coughs> membership organization funded by the dues of our members. And so we don't accept grants. We don't uh, do events or sponsorships. It's a very simple uh, revenue structure. And what that enables us to be is a little bit more independent. So we can take a longer view. We can often take difficult stands because we've got financial independence to do that. It's been my sense, Mark, that in years gone by, the Civic Council has been fairly reluctant to come out and deal with the news media and talk about its positions on key issues. Is that changing? Are you trying to change that? You know, I will say our preference has always been to stay out of the spotlight and really kind of work uh, beyond the scenes with partner organizations to get things done. And that really comes from a, a knowledge and a, and a belief that you can get more accomplished when you don't worry about being in the spotlight and taking credit. And so that's been the MO, and that continues. But I think at the same time, we're evolving to become a little bit more public-facing. When you're in the public sphere attempting to engage on community issues, folks in the community want a little bit want to know a little bit about you and kind of what you stand for and what you're working on. And so we just basically overhauled our website and you can see you know, our list of members and some of the things that we're working on in, in Kansas City. How does somebody become a member? It's actually a, sort of a two-part process. It's invitation only. It is, we do have criteria. It is the largest employers that typically Is are, that in terms of employee or an income or both? There's both. So typically the threshold is 1,000 employees or $250 million in revenue. There are some exceptions for fast-growing companies that are headed in that direction. You know, but really, it's not only invitation only, but the, the member, the CEO, has to buy into the mission of the Civic Council, which is 
when you join the Civic Council, you're not there to represent your business interest. You're really there to work on behalf of the common good along with the other business leaders in the organization. And that's a different proposition. Well, the Civic Council did go public in its support for the pre-K tax increase, the three-eighths of a cent sales tax increase. That was also supported by the Chamber of Commerce and the popular mayor and went down to a major defeat. How do you explain that happening? You know, we, we looked at that issue for a long time. One of the things the Civic Council is known for is that we do a lot of research and, and investigation before we weigh in on something. We had a task force of our members that looked at the issue for six months. And, you know, there were pros and cons to it. It wasn't a perfect proposal, but at the end of the day, we believe this was our last best chance to get something done for early childhood in this region, which is a critical need. And unfortunately, uh, you know, the public wasn't ready for that particular proposal. The need's still there. So we're ready to, and willing to partner with organizations and school districts that might have another plan. So it's not the last best chance. It's just a chance that was missed. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we, we hope there's another opportunity. What other programs do you have at the Civic Council? Something called, is it KC Rising? Yeah, it's, it's really not, not our program, but it's a collaboration. And the chambers involve KCADC, Mid-America Regional Council, and hundreds of volunteers across the region. KC Rising really sprung out of a, a research report in 2014 called Prosperity to Crossroads. This is a report that Brookings and Mid-America Regional Council commissioned. And it was looking at Kansas City's economy coming out of the Great Recession. What that report basically says is that Kansas City was coming out of the recession slower than peer communities across the country. And that really galvanized some thinking and some action that became Casey Rising. So with Casey Rising, we're focusing on three economic drivers. One is ideas and innovation. Another is our traded sectors where we have an advantage, such as our architecture and construction industry or our life sciences industry. How do we grow those industries where we have a competitive advantage? And the third is human talent which is a scarcity across the country increasingly. And so we have committees that are working on strategies in each of those three areas. Mark, got to stop you there, out of time. Thank you very much for coming in. Enjoyed meeting you. Thank you, Mike. Come back. Good to be here. All right, that is Civic Council President Mark Hill. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus! Denidri Herbert is a journalist with the Sentinel website. Terry Riley is a former Kansas City councilman and now heads Transformation Consultants. Mary O'Halloran is a media and communications consultant. And Patrick Tuohy is director of municipal policy at the Show Me Institute, a free market think tank. Good to see all of you again. Thanks very much for joining me. Kansas school finance questions are among the most discussed topics on ruckus. And for a good reason. They never seem to end. The legislature and governor agree on how much to spend. Some school districts disagree. They file suit, and the state Supreme Court rules in their favor. But this long cycle may be ending. The current legislature and governor seem to be in accord over a plan that adds $90 million to the school finance bill for each of the next four years. The $90 million would be an adjustment for inflation, an idea seemingly embraced by the state's high court. The court will likely make a ruling in June, so Denidri, is this the legislation that will finally answer the question, how much money for Kansas schools is enough? I think anybody who thinks that is Charlie, is Lucy, is Charlie Brown to Lucy's football. I mean, this it's never going to end, and anybody who says it is going to end clearly has a very, very short understanding of recent history. Um, the plaintiffs in that case have already said they're not, that it's not enough money. They want $360 million, I think, this year. 
And uh, so the current plan would be 360 million additional over four years. Over four years, I think. And, and yeah. they want more. Each they want year. more each year. They they say that adjustment is incorrect and inaccurate for inflation, and they want. Aren't they the ones who came up with that figure initially, the 90 million? Uh, it was Dale Dennis, and I believe the uh, Dale Dennis, the state. I don't even know what his title is. Somebody with the Commissioner of Education, the, the education guy, okay. guru. Guys. So what, what happens? So what title. happens now? The court is supposed to meet in May and then render a decision in June. Yes, my suspicion is the court allows it to continue for a year and tells the legislature yet again, come back, give a, we. This does not meet our demands, but it's a start. Come back and and divvy up what the plaintiffs have asked because this is what they always do. They either say reject it and say give us what the plaintiffs asked. Or they say, okay, we'll let you go for now, but come back next year and give us what the plan uh, is. This asked. new legislation puts some new requirements <laughs> on school districts. They have to produce school performance reports and mm -hmm. do an audit on their cash reserves. How do you think school districts are going to respond to those new requirements? I don't care. <laughs> for this reason, it's such, it was such a good compromise. This, is, this was a good time for Kansas, for people who want this problem of how much we're going to uh, spend to fund schools to move forward and move on. I think it is the beginning of the end, as does uh, Governor Laura Kelly. This is what she campaigned to do. This was what uh, the people of Kansas wanted her to do, is go to the legislature and say, let's get this done. Let's get, not, how about $90 million? It came up, of course, in, among the people that do these kinds of computations. And 90 million it is. And it, the vote in the Senate was 31 to 8, thanks to the Republican senators who supported the compromise. The reason I say is I don't care is I think those are two good offerings from the Republican side of things. The governor said, let's get the inflationary increase in there and let's pass it and let's move this on. And I think she's going to have a great victory. Some in the Republicans end. in the state are saying uh, the state doesn't demand enough from the districts in return for the additional money. They want better test scores. Yeah. And the Kansas Policy Institute says the test scores are not getting better. No, according to the Department of Education, uh, proficiency at fourth and eighth grade have been uh, the same since 1998. And spending has gone up on uh, per pupil spending in Kansas has gone up higher than inflation. And Mary says she doesn't care about this. I certainly think uh, nothing will improve as far as what the, the quality of education children actually receive. What will happen is that school districts will hire more administrative staff to meet the demands of this and that. But will money make it to the classroom? Well, History tells us it won't. It seems like uh, a lot of the districts have a lot of money they're holding in reserve that they might need to bring forward and spend on Look at education, education is, a, is a cash cow. And the last thought of unions administrators seems to be the quality of education the kids are receiving. You can dump all sorts of money into the system, and we have for 20 years, and hmm. proficiency levels have not improved. I want to go here to Terry. Uh, can this decision by the legislature to pass the, the school finance bill that Laura Kelly, the governor, wants be seen as a big victory for her and a big defeat for Republicans? No, I think it's a win-win for both of them. Uh, the Republican okay. Party and uh, the governor have gotten together and collaborated in which in the past there would have never been any conversations. I believe that the money should be earmarked towards the classroom, making sure we have instructional coaches in the classrooms, paying teachers what they deserve, stopping the high turnover of teachers in our classrooms. But, but the legislation I believe, doesn't include that. 
but I believe that they will have these things in place based upon some in individuals I just talked to yesterday to make sure that we're maximizing every tax dollar in the class. I'm going to wrap this up. Denise Reed, can Republicans see this as a victory in Kansas? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I think they do because I think they're calling the courts bluff and we'll see what the courts does, what, the, what they do. One little fact. <laughs> when we talk about how much it is, guess what? This plan that just passed will only raise the amount of money per pupil in each classroom across the state by $36. It's only $36 <coughs> higher than it was in 2008. So and this nothing is will not, change. That's a well, fallacious this is, this is statistic, making up for the though. Uh, so all cuts. this fight was over $36, is what I'm understanding, $36 well, no, per, fight, per, you, per I people? don't know. You'd have to talk to the former Governor Brownback, but uh, now sir. we're up to $36 uh, Stop. We don't need facts in the conversation. <laughs> facts. No kidding. And education was felling under Brownback. <laughs> the two finalists for the mayor's job in Kansas City, Missouri, have been selected by a small segment of the voting public in the recent primary. The two, Jolie Justice and Quentin Lucas, are both first-term members of the city council both attorneys and both Democrats, I assume. Those similarities form the basis for the rest of our discussion with two candidates, both well-respected, intelligent, and thoughtful. How do you decide which one gets your vote? What should the typical Kansas City voter be considering? Start with Patrick. Well, we are up to 40 homicides so far in Kansas City this year. <coughs> that is the highest in uh, year to date in at least five years. We are the fifth most dangerous city in the United States. I don't know that uh, anything other than homicide and crime should be talked about. Uh, I, I am interested for the candidates to tell me how they are different from each other <coughs> and how they are different from the past eight years, which frankly has been a holiday from reality. We have spent a bunch of money building baubles in Kansas City while the, the, the core, our infrastructure, and our crime rate uh, are rot. What, what could a mayor do about the crime rate and the homicide total? Well, the first thing a mayor would do is develop a positive relationship with the police, go talk to the police, find out what they need, and then use his power of veto or her power of veto to make sure that the police department is spending money uh, wisely and, and, more importantly, is putting more police officers on the streets. We have 100 fewer, maybe 140 fewer uniformed police officers on the streets today than we had when Mayor James took over, and that is unacceptable. Uh, Mary, yesterday there was a major, major endorsement in the mayor's race. Uh, the Firefighters Union, Local 42, came out in support of Quentin Lucas. What does that do to the course of the campaign? Well, I don't know. Would you consider that a major endorsement? Well, I, I would indeed, sure. Uh, all the endorsements that uh, Jolie Justice has are important also. What are they? Well, let's start. I, mean, mayor, I don't know. I, mean, what, I don't know if there are any new ones okay. since the primary. No, but, but, but the big but endorsement. We'll, was... we'll agree that all the can <laughs> both candidates have endorsements. Is local 42's endorsement of Quentin yes, Lucas a big thing, a yes. big deal? Well, it, it, they're very involved in okay. politics, um, and they can turn out a lot of voters. They could. I, I'd like to agree with something that Patrick said for once on this show. It's kind of nice to have some little thing that we can agree on. Uh, Julie Justice's first comment about the crime situation and what she would do if she were elected is to hire more p police officers. And then, and then talking about what kind of police officers. The uh, police apparently in the city think it's been very helpful to have some social workers along because of the tremendous number of people with mental health issues that become entangled with 
the police in our various cases causing violence in the neighborhoods. Um, one thing that I do in these races always is to see which individuals are endorsing whom. And I'm, I have a big, wonderful friend, Scott Burnett, who is a longtime public servant. Everybody knows Scott. And his endorsement of Jolie Justice is based on his long time working with her in the neighborhoods. Uh, Jolie is an extraordinarily competent person. And I go over here to he calls her a, a, a problem solver. That's uh, a good thing. Uh, can a mayor just hire police officers? No, they cannot. Mayors you, have very little real authority in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, uh, being the mayor of a, a major metropolitan city, being uh, being a mayor, you must be able to uh, create partnerships and collaboration on the council and likewise on the police commission. One of the things I think that a mayor can do is go to Washington, work with our U.S. senators, and work with our local congressional members and work on getting more cop funds. If I was to do the cop funds, I will bring back and reinstitute the community police. And so mm -hmm. officers can know who's in their neighborhoods, put those officers on the streets so that we can deal with this whole thing of crime. And mental health is a major issue. And on a national level, there's a lot of dollars there for the opioid crisis coupled with mental health. Right. Uh, These things are not things that some, I'm thinking about. These Denitri, are things that are factual. Yeah. <laughs> some other council members ran strong but didn't win. Alicia Kennedy, for example. Uh, Scott Miller or Steve Miller, I guess. Uh, will they have influence? Will they get involved in these races, get behind one of the two candidates? They should, but I don't know how they choose. They might as well flip a coin. This is the most boring race I have seen in the history <laughs> of all politics. It's like two people whose only difference is demographic. This is. You don't I, remember James Burke. You're right, uh, I don't. Eight years ago. I that was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know how anybody gets inspired, burner, it? gets no. really fired up to go to the polls when there's no, there's not a big difference. Uh, final just... question: Do you think Lucas has a charisma advantage? Maybe a, a, a very <laughs> slight one because uh, Justice seems to have kind of all of the, the some a lot of the big names behind her. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much Lucas's uh, charisma is going to play, especially in an election when everybody's going to go. And well, turn the channel. Denita, I think that's because of the time she spent representing the city in the Senate. And over those years, she built up lots of relationships across, oh. across oh. the aisle. They both aisle. bore me to tears. All right. They bore you. <laughs> we'll try not to bore you any longer. I'm sorry. And move on. <laughs> the word biting. They're the same. The word biting, usually said without pronouncing the G as Biden, means waiting. You often hear someone say he's biding his time. And that is probably the best way to describe former Vice President Joe Biden's thoughts about announcing what everyone seems to know, that he's running for the Democratic presidential nomination. His entry is being stymied by some women who have come forth to say Biden made them feel uncomfortable. He violated their space. He rubbed their shoulders or smelled their hair. At his first public appearance since the allegations, Biden got laughs and then harsh criticism for this comment. I just want you to know I had permission to hug Lonnie. I, we, we, we I, uh... Lonnie was the guy who introduced him at the IBEW meeting where he spoke. 
So, Mary, as a longtime Democrat, is Joe Biden the guy your party needs to nominate next year to the win the presidential election? Well, I think we, we also need to look at the women who are running. We don't necessarily need a particular guy. I, I don't. Well, he's the leader so, right? in the polls. He's the leader of the guys, yes. He's right. the leader in the polls of everybody. He certainly is. Yeah. And that's because of what he's done in his life, for heaven's sakes. It's because I mean, of his is, name recognition, is it this, not? It is. It starts out as that. But yeah. it also starts out with, you know, what kind of person this man is. I began... <coughs> creepy. I'm I about think that's to what's say getting me in trouble, creepy. actually. Well, you know, look at his life and try to be honest about it. This man has more character within his heart and soul and, and behavior than most any senator I have ever observed over my lifetime. And I, we're about the same age. I first met him when I was a state legislator at 29, and he came, and we had a long conversation one mm -hmm. night. He's just... Did he rub your shoulders? Say, he smell your hair? Oh, yeah. Stop with that. Stop with that. Every I mean, time. Well, no, I won't stop fair. with that. That is the criticism not, of him. Well, it is the criticism. You know what's so funny here? Behavior. I'm sorry? You know what's so funny here? Y'all talking about Joe Biden, and we have the creep of creeps in the White House right now. Well, we've talked he, about him a lot. More ethic, uh, he likes the more ethical. Well, this topic is Biden, and we'll talk about well, Trump Biden, on another occasion. Biden, anyway, Patrick. I believe Biden should Patrick, be looked at. Patrick, <laughs> some people say the problem with Joe Biden is not any of this stuff with women, women who came forward after five or six years of silence, but it's generational. He's too old. Uh, now, I think 76 is like early middle age, but some people think that's that's too old to run for president. He won't understand the progressive movement in the party. So I don't know that Joe Biden as an individual is too old to be president. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that anyone of that age is too old to be president. However, I think you are right. What the this last few week uh, news coverage about Joe Biden underscores is that he is um, a man of another time. And I don't know that anything uh, Joe did was... Uh, anything more than just uh, creepy, but he has got to reckon with where his party has gone. Remember, Al Franken left the United States Senate for pretending to do what Joe Biden has actually done. So Joe Biden's battle is not with Republicans or conservatives or even with the uh, electorate. It is with a small percentage of woke Twitter and the Democrats who <laughs> are, are going to uh, go after him, and, and it's a Democratic D problem. Denidri, explain yes. to us what woke means, somebody who is woke. What does uh, that mean? I think it, somebody who is woke has their pronouns on their Twitter um, profile page. Other than that, they're just <laughs> constantly triggered and offended. I think that's their it, it, that's it, what being woke It really means that you're well aware of what's going on and you I mean, understand the issues and you're paying you to, attention. I think that's what they want the word to mean, but in reality, you know, no. Have you been listening to what's, what's her name on the morning uh, uh, NBC, um, no. Rosinski. Mika. Mika, yeah. who nope. talks about Joe Biden and how he needs to get his act together and Karen Tumulty and all these other really good pundits talk about he needs to move on, he needs to, you know, cut it and, and start behaving differently. But so does everyone else. This is not the issue of our time. The issue of our time is can we elect a person of high moral character to the office and of I the believe, presidency again? I believe Claire McCaskill said on that program this morning that when Joe Biden said something publicly, there was a 50% chance it would be nutty. And, and she is still her witty self. <laughs> and, when, uh, and when Donald Trump says something, it's a 90% uh, chance to be nutty. All right, now we're going to head to the soapbox for roast and toast where the Ruckats have 30 seconds each to elevate, vitiate, or exaggerate. And up first is Mary. 
Uh, I'd love to elevate somebody today. I mean, there is this wonderful thing that has happened in our country. The astrophysicists at the Harvard-Smithsonian laboratories have taken the first photo of a black hole that's an actual photograph. This is historic. And guess who is being credited with developing the algorithm that made it all possible? A young woman by the name of Katie Borman, who at 29 was a physicist at the laboratory and discovered, led the effort to discover this new al algorithm. It's an amazing accomplishment. Go online, look at the black hole for the first time, and think about this accomplishment for women and for our country. And I did. It looks like a black hole. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it really does. But it's a real picture. A blurry donut. Um, I want to give a toast today to black conservatives, of which I am one. I have noticed the last several days a constant cascade of uh, abhorrent behavior towards black conservatives, whether it's Herman Cain, whether it's Candace Owens, whether it's uh, my personal friend who's a black conservative who has called a, a, an Uncle Tom on his Facebook page. It takes tremendous courage to be a black conservative in this environment, and I toast you. All right, Patrick. Uh, today I have a roast for Kansas City's economic development uh, culture, and this one is a doozy. According to the Visitors Bureau of Kansas City, because the city spent so much subsidizing hotel construction, we now have more hotel rooms than we can fill. And because occupancy rate is so low, the Visitors Bureau is afraid that hotels will reduce their rates, thus making less money. To solve this, the Visitors Bureau wants to increase their staff to help sell hotel rooms. In other words, because the city spent taxpayer money screwing up the hotel market, the city wants to spend taxpayer money fixing the hotel market. And yes, this is as stupid as it sounds. It's no way to run a city. Terry. I was going to, you know, roast bar for being a stooge for Trump, but today I'm going to flip and, and toast my wife. She's been on the bench one year now over at Jackson County. So I want to toast my wife. Right, and finally, here is a toast to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who offered this advice to Joe Biden and all other men running for office. Uh, just pretend you have a cold and I have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> and that answer is nothing to sneeze at. And that's Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night. Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you.